I'd like to this morning uh, continue on with, uh, I guess you could say, the second part of where I started last week. And uh, last week we talked about um, prevent, suffer, and recover, specifically related to the consequences of sin, preventing the consequences of sin, suffering the consequences of sin, and uh, recovering from the consequences of sin. And if you remember last week, we talked about uh, preventing, and obviously the best way to prevent the consequences of sin is to not sin in the first place. Uh, now, we, we are all going to sin, um, but there are definitely times when we have the mindset, we have the ability, we have the power uh, to walk away from situations where we will not fall into uh, the temptation to sin. And we talked about... Uh, specifically last week about you know the things that you that you uh, you see we talked about the psalmist who says uh, that I've made a covenant with my eyes that I will you know set no wicked thing before me uh, and uh, his his mindset David's mindset there of I don't want to he says I don't want to set something wicked before me so it will enter into my eyes and affect my heart in a way that makes me want to pursue something that's sinful uh, he talks about I don't want to um, you know, have the company that I'm keeping to be the type of people who will draw me away from the Lord. I want to, you know, run from those people and uh, run towards godly people so I can prevent um, sin from, from having more of an effect in my life than it already does. And that's important. That's the safe place to be. Uh, in order for us to do that, though, we need to have a good understanding of, of God's word and God's standards on what sin actually is. Uh, if you let the media or, you know, the, you know your friends or the television or whatever uh, define for you what is right and what is wrong, what is holy, what is profane, what is good and what is evil, you are going to miss the mark. Uh, it is God's word and God's word only that sets the standard for what a child of God should have in his life and be doing and not be doing. It's, and, and that's it. That's our standard. And I encourage you, if you are ever uh, thrown into the fire of the world and, and men are asking you, why is it, you know, they may call you a bigot and all types of stuff. Why do you believe what you believe? You just simply say that I am standing on God's standard. That is my light. That is my God. And what the Lord deems as holy and profane is what I deem holy and profane. The Lord would be more than happy for you to lay that off on him. Uh, we tell our children sometimes, hey, if you get in a sticky situation and, you know, there's some temptation there or whatever, and you need to lay your decision to do something on your parents, by all means, do that. Amen. You can say to them, I, I can't do this because my parents said no or my parents are going to kill me. Lay it on me. And the Lord, would, I think, would echo the same thing. Tell the world it's my standard you're walking on. Now, the topic of today would be suffering the consequences of sin. And I'm not going to lie to you, this has been a hard study for me, mostly because there are certain passages in the Bible that when I read them, it causes a great deal of mental anguish for me. And so much so that there's times that I, that I read and study and I see... God's people suffering the consequences of sin because they chose not to prevent the consequences of sin. Sometimes I just have to stand up, put the Bible, and I just got to go walk around for a little bit. It causes a great deal of mental anguish, especially 
we're going to look a little bit in the book of Lamentations today. You know, I can only read the book of Lamentations for so long before I've just got to stop. It is heartbreaking to watch the suffering that these people go through because of their sin. Now, it's difficult to grasp and understand the consequences of sin and suffering those things when there's food on the table and when there are smiles on our faces and when everything, there's money in the bank and everything seems to be going good. It is very hard for us to comprehend suffering for the consequences of sin. But I think about um, in Matthew, the 24th chapter, I believe it is, the Lord references the flood that you read about back in Genesis. And he says, he says in the, the Lord's judgment on sin, it's a lot like it was in the days of Noah. And that there were people eating and drinking and marrying each other and just living life, just having good times. And it says they knew not that the judgment of God was coming until the flood. It took rising waters coming up and they started to see things floating that aren't supposed to be floating in the water. They saw men, you know, and women and children, you know, struggling to stay afloat. That's when it dawned on them that God's judgment for sin is a real thing. Now, if you ever have, you've got any kind of imagination, you sit down sometime and you think about what that situation would have been like as those waters rose. You think about the horror that these people faced because they were blind and ignorant to the consequences of sin. Now, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. Now, certainly, we see that in an, in an eternal sense. That the wages of sin is death, and because we sin, we have been separated from a holy God in eternity. And it were it were were it not for the finished work of Jesus Christ, we would have no eternity in heaven. We would only ever suffer the consequences of sin because the, the price tag, the wage of sin is death. Sin demands to be paid. And when you partner up with sin, he will demand payment and that payment is death. Now, the Bible also tells us in the book of James that lust, when it is conceived, brings forth death. It's just another, another way of saying the same thing. You need to understand, though, there's a lot of different types of death. There is obviously death to the body, and you can thank sin for that. The reason that I have gray in my beard is because uh, I'm a sinner. And sin takes me and ushers me to death. That's what sin does. That's what the Lord told Adam in the garden. That the day that you eat the fruit thereof, thou, thou shalt surely die. Of course, he died spiritually right then. We understand that. But he also began to die physically. So you can die spiritually. You can die physically. But there's also a death to fellowship. How many times have we seen that? Um, that... We can live our lives in such, such a way that sweet, dear relationships that we have no longer exist. What maybe once were best friends or what once were husband and wife now absolutely hate each other. You see, something died there. That, that fellowship with one another died. There are all different types of death. And 
at the end of the day, what sin wants in payment is death and separation. Now, obviously, there are different levels of the consequences of our sins. Every single person under the sound of my voice is a sinner. Has probably already sinned today, probably will sin while we're sitting here, and will sin once we leave, including myself. But there are some sins that maybe the consequence is not that great. The Bible tells us that he has not um, dealt with us according to our iniquities or rewarded us for our transgressions. That means it is not an eye for an eye with the Lord. That is not his method. One little sin, one little slap on the wrist. One big sin, one big slap on the wrist. The Bible says that he is merciful and many, many times his long suffering and his mercy pass over our sins. But there's a time that the long suffering of the Lord in this life comes to an end. And we're going to look at that if, if time will allow. So there's different levels. I want you to think just a few minutes about, you know, I mentioned last week. <clears throat> I mentioned last week the man Achan that you can read about in the book of Joshua. Where they, the Israelites have gone into the promised land and <clears throat> they're going into uh, Jericho. The greatest city of its day. High walls, thick stone walls that, you know, there's no dynamite. There's no, uh, you know, there's no track hose. There's no bulldozers to bring this wall down. And God sends his people in there and they, in, in a way that only God can do. He brings the wall down without any man having to put forth any effort in bringing that wall down other than marching around it. And he tells them, when you go in there, don't bring anything out. And Achan goes in there and he sees some garments and some things that he admires and he secretly takes them and he brings them in and he puts them somewhere in his tent or whatever you know, type place he had. <clears throat> and the next battle that Israel has to face is a, t- a little place called Ai. It is a fraction of what Jericho is that they just leveled because of the sin of Achan, the Israelites lose. And Joshua comes back and says, Lord, what have you done? Everybody's going to hear about we got beat by this small little place, AI, and they're going to want to, you know, attack us and they're going to mock us. And the Lord says, wait a minute. I didn't do this. Y'all did this. It was your sin. There's somebody in your camp that has done something that I told them specifically not to do. And you as a corporate nation are suffering because of that. You're suffering the consequences of sin. I think about, I think about, and just a small, maybe a, a, well, it's not really that small, but I think about a Moses. What a great leader for the Israelites. But you remember there was a time that the Lord told Moses to speak to the rock to bring water forth, and he didn't speak to it. He struck it, and the Lord in his mercy still brought water forth. But do you know it was because of that very thing that Moses did not get to complete the journey into the promised land. He allowed the Lord allowed Moses to see it. But what do you think it was like standing on the top of that mount where the Lord took Moses and says, listen, you you sinned against me by striking the rock when I told you to speak to it. And I'm going to let you look in the promised land, but you will not go into it. You'll die on this side of it. That was probably pretty hard. <clears throat> he suffered because of that. But I want to spend most of the time that I've got on a couple of examples here, and one of them, one of them I think about, uh, you can read about him, and we mentioned him last week in the book of Judges, 
is the man Samson. Samson literally was a real, real world superhero. The Bible says his strength was unmatched. He is killing lions with his bare hands. He is taking uh, huge gates off the walls of the city and putting them on his back and carrying them away. He has <clears throat> defeated a thousand Philistines with the Bible says the, with the jawbone of an ass. He has done things that no man can really do. The Bible says he was a Nazarite separated from the womb. An angel comes and tells Samson's mother who was barren that you're going to give child. He's going to be a Nazarite separated unto me. He's not to cut his hair. He's not to have wine or strong drink. He's a special person. And he's going to have a tremendous strength. Now, you see Samson has a terrible weakness for the flesh. He follows God's commandment and God's law about as good as a cow does. He has been given strict instructions, the Israelites, of who they're supposed to marry. Not what individual person but to marry within uh, the, the tribes of Israel. And he doesn't want to do that. Um, they've been given specific instructions because they are Israelites that you're not to uh, touch a dead carcass or take anything to eat. And, and he does that. He kills a lion. He passes back by it. And he decides that he'll go ahead and uh, there's a, 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 a honeycomb in it. And he takes it and he eats up. It's not supposed to do that. And not only does he do that, he takes it and gives it to his parents. Doesn't tell him where it came from. He pursues the woman that he's not supposed to, to pursue. He ends up marrying her and she betrays him. And he leaves her. And then as a payment to pay back the Philistines for some of the things they've done, he burns their crops. And in retaliation, they burn his wife and her father. I mean, his life is the exact opposite of quiet and peaceable. But still... He was a man chosen by God to lead the Israelites. In, and uh, at that time, he was a judge of Israel and to deliver them from the Philistines. The Philistines were their neighbors and they were in constant battle. And the Lord raised up this man to deliver them from, from the Philistines. You got to picture yourself being Samson. You know that there's nobody out there that can whip you. If I knew that there was a man that I was fixing to have to go fight and he had killed a thousand Philistines with a bone, I don't know that I want to go there. I don't know that I want to go deal with him. Samson, don't you know, and it is clear by his actions, he thought he was invincible. Do you think it ever crossed Samson's mind that he would end up like he ended up? I don't think it ever crossed his mind. So he was very casual with sin. He indulged in the, moral, uh, the immoral things of the flesh. And I doubt it ever crossed his mind. But there comes a time, and you can read about it in the book of Judges, that Samson gets up to fight the Philistines because they have come in on him. But he's found that in his recklessness and his misuse of God's blessing, that he has no hair anymore. And what do you think? I, I, wonder, I wonder how that played out. I know there's a movie about Samson. I never saw it. But I wonder how it played out maybe when, he, when Delilah screamed, hey, you know, Samson, get up. The Philistines are among you. He probably stood up arrogant and cocky and was like, I've been there, done this, no big deal. Just give me a few minutes and I'm going to go back to sleep. And maybe that first one came at him and Samson reared back to punch him. 
and maybe hit him in the face and that guy just kind of looked at him like, you know, you hit like my mama. What do you think Samson thought? And then maybe he, he, he reached over there to grab him as they begin to wrestle and this guy easily takes him to the ground. And the next thing you know, he's bound. What do you think Samson began to feel? I imagine his heart is pounding 90 to nothing and he's saying, what has happened? Let me tell you what happened is the floodgates of the consequences of Samson's sin has flooded in on him. They take Samson and they lay him down and the Bible says that they gouged his eyes out. Now, I don't want to be graphic, but I think it's important to understand that sin doesn't play around. When sin comes upon somebody to destroy and you and are asking for the wages it is owed, it's not a game. When it says that they gouged his eyes out, the very definition of that means they bored them out. They drilled them out. I know that's graphic. But what do you think? And listen, Samson's laying there. They didn't sedate him. They didn't start an IV and put him to sleep. The last thing he saw was that drill or that instrument or whatever they had. I know it's not a power drill, but a, you know, some kind of corkscrew coming towards his eyes. Can you imagine the pain and anguish as he was sitting there probably begging God to give him strength? But it was time to pay the piper, as we say. And Samson laid there, and not only did they do that to him, they took him, and this once so-called superhero starts grinding in the prison mill. Now, what do you think as he pushed, uh, as he pushed that stone around over and over and over, same path over and over, grinding in that mill with no eyes, having no idea what he was looking at, what the guard that was, was probably beating him across the back to go faster, what he looked like? And in that very methodical, boring life he now leads, don't you think he thought back to all the times that he delivered Israel in great ways against the Philistines? Don't you know he thought about the time he took the gates off the city and carried them on his back and set them up on a hill? Or the time that he slew all the Philistines with a jawbone? Don't you know he thought about those things? Don't you know he said in his mind, if I could just go back and do something different, I would never, ever lay eyes on Delilah because my God told me that is not the people you're supposed to marry. Boy, there's a lesson in marriage right there. God's told us who we're supposed to marry. The Bible tells us that you're not supposed to play. He told the Israelites back in the book of Leviticus, you are not supposed to plow with an ox and an ass together. And those are symbols of children of God and children of the world. He said, you're not supposed to yoke those two things together. Samson didn't listen to that. What do you think Samson's story would have been like if he would have just listened to the Lord? Now, let me finish up in the book of Lamentations here for a second. The Lord tells the Israelites in the book of Numbers, He says to that, be sure that your sins will find you out. That's something you ought to, you ought to write somewhere and remember that, especially you young people. Be sure your sins will find you out. You can be certain 
that sin is going to come looking for its wages. Now, eternally speaking, it's been paid for and defeated. You understand? I'm not talking about heaven and hell today. I'm talking about in this life. In the book of Lamentations, the name comes from lamenting. It's written by a man named Jeremiah, who, in my opinion, uh, aside from the Lord Jesus Christ, had probably one of the most difficult callings that I know of as far as uh, prophets and preachers go. And as I mentioned earlier, when it said in the days of Noah that they were just eating and drinking and, and, and you know, given in marriage and being given in marriage and they didn't know until the flood came and I told you that it's hard for us to understand the consequences of sin when everything's going good but it's been that way forever but the Lord sent prophets to tell them hey this is not the way it's supposed to be the Lord sent us this word that tells us these things ought not be do you remember Josiah the young king who Israel had gone way, way off the way, and all of a sudden they stumble upon the book of the law, and he reads it, and he says, oh my goodness, we're not supposed to be doing these things. And it was a massive repentance. We need some prophets and some preachers and somebody to find the book of this law and read it. But Israel has forsaken the Lord. They have gone their own way. They have done most everything that the Lord told them not to do. Jeremiah is given the commission to go and tell them of the impending doom and destruction that is coming upon them unless they repent. And nobody wanted to hear it. We've talked about that. Jeremiah was told by the Lord, you're going to send, take this message to my people, your people, and they're not going to want to hear you. So the book of Jeremiah is about Jeremiah's message to go do that. The book of Lamentations is a lament after the fact and the picture of them suffering because they did not listen. And I just want to read some of this to you. I can't describe it as good as I can just read it to you. <clears throat> this is Jeremiah writing about the destruction of Jerusalem. He says in verse chapter 1, I'm going to skip around. He says, how doth the city sit solitary? Remember we talked about solitary a while back? Alone. How does the city sit solitary that was full of people? Why don't you substitute in your mind America? How has she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces, how has she become tributary? She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers she hath none to comfort her. All her friends have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity because of affliction and because of great servitude. She dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feast. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are the chief. Her enemies prosper. For the Lord, notice this, for the Lord hath afflicted her, why? For the multitude of her transgressions. Israel is suffering the consequences of her sin. 
And if you remember, if you know much about the siege of Jerusalem at that time, there was a period, I think it was about 18 months. Great strategy, excellent military strategy that they circled the city. And it's interesting that this was at the time of the Passover. And the armies surrounding the city, they would allow people to come in, but they wouldn't allow them to come out. Why? It was so they could deplete all the resources they had quicker. You see, they basically starved them to death. They would let nobody out of the city and they didn't have the means to come out of the city and fight. And there were different factions within the city. You had the, the zealots and then you had the people that were a little more passive and they're fighting amongst themselves. One, one uh, historical article I even read said that some, there was so much tension within the city that the people that wanted to fight went and burned up all the storehouses of food to try to motivate the people that didn't want to fight that you got to go fight now. It's chaos. And they essentially, over a period of 18 months or so, let a society run out of its resources and dwindle down and fight amongst each other. Listen to this. So much so that mothers boiled their children to eat them. Is that graphic? Look, that's the Word of God. If you take the consequences of sin lightly, I encourage you to read Lamentations. You say, oh, I would never do that. I would never take it that far. I hope not. But we're not suffering like these people suffered. Why are they suffering? Why did Samson have his eyes gouged out? Why did he grind in the prison mill? Why are these people experiencing these things? The Bible says for the multitude of their transgressions. It says Jerusalem hath grievously sinned, therefore she is removed. And notice this, it says the adversary has spread out his hand upon all her pleasant things, for she has seen that the heathen entered into her sanctuary, whom thou didst command that they should not enter into the congregation. You see, the Lord held them at bay. He held the enemies at bay like He's holding our enemies at bay. And His hand is up, holding them back. And He expects us to bring forth fruit, not wild grapes, but the fruit that He intended us to bring forth. But the Bible says this, He hath cut off his, in His fierce anger all the horn of Israel. Notice this, He has drawn back His right hand from before the enemy. He just dropped his hand, and here they come. He removed his restraint, and the long suffering came to an end. And it says, They have not discovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity, but have seen for thee false burden and causes of banishment. Let me read that to you one more time. And I want you to be thinking about a group of Israelites with their leaders sitting around saying, What has happened? Let's get our heads together and try to figure out why we are in the condition we're in. It says, Thy prophets have seen vain and foolish things for thee, and they have not discovered thine iniquity to turn away thy captivity. There's the key. It says, But they have seen for thee false burdens and false causes of banishment. They blamed everything but their own rebellion and sin for the situation they were in. Does that sound familiar? 
Is that not what we do? Take it all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What did Adam and Eve do immediately after they sinned in the garden? It's his fault. It's her fault. It's the devil's fault. God's people, please look in the mirror and own your sin and ask as the Lord, as David did, the Lord, search me and try me. Know my thoughts and see if there is any wicked way in me. Why? Because I don't want to be in the prison mill. And I don't want my sight to be put out. And I don't want to be as Israel was after the siege of Jerusalem by the Romans. He goes on and he says, For the punishment of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom that was overthrown as in a moment and no hand stayed her. They that be slain with the sword are better. Listen, you know what he just said? He said that the Lord punished the sin of sodomy less than he was punishing God's people for their rebellion. Do you think God takes rebellion against him seriously? Yes. It says they that be slain with the sword are better than they that be slain with hunger. The hands of the pitiful women have sodden their own children. They were their meat in the destruction of the daughter of my people. And this is, this is the one that really hits me hard. That makes me have to get up and go walk outside. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy should have entered into the gates of Jerusalem. This was a mind-blowing thing. Not only did the kings of the earth, but all the inhabitants of the world prior to this have said, hey, Jerusalem's sitting pretty and nothing going to happen to that place. And when the news came to them, the kings of the earth, hey, have you heard about Jerusalem? They've been surrounded for 18 months. Nobody's coming out to fight. And the word we're getting is that the people are fighting amongst themselves. The Bible says that children were standing in the streets and it says their skin was cleaving to their bones. You ever seen pictures of people that were in the concentration camps? That's where we are. And it said the children, men would walk by and the children would beg them for a piece of bread. And nobody would give them any. That's hard for me to read. People say, oh, America's strong. America's great. America will never fall. Don't believe that. I don't think America will ever fall if God's people are doing what God's people are supposed to do. Let me close with this. I've already gone too long. I'm so sorry. The book of 1 Peter, I'm going to give you one more verse here. Listen, we're going to suffer. We're going to suffer. You remember Joseph? You remember Joseph whose Potiphar wife desired? And Joseph, she, she called to Joseph time and time and time again and said, lie with me. Joseph was a man that prevented sin because when she came to him and grabbed him, he ran. That's a man that wanted to, to prevent sin. But Joseph suffered because she lied about it and he got thrown in prison. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or as a thief or as an evildoer or as a busybody in other men's ha house matters. Listen, yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, 
but let him glorify God on this behalf. I'm going to leave you with that because I'm out of time. But I do want to say this. We're going to suffer, but if you suffer, don't let it be because of your sin. Let it be because of the stance you took for the Lord. Next week, the Lord willing, I want to talk to you about the one that I've been looking the most forward to, and that's recovering from the consequences of sin. Because the Lord is merciful. And Israel, the story was not over for them. Samson, the story was not over for him. There was a recovering from those things. I hope that's been profitable to you. And please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.